The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Amen. My brother told me his memory was bad, so he wrote it down, but the name of the church is The Path Worship Center. <laughs> it's worse than you thought, brother. <laughs> it's my pleasure to be here today and preach for you the Word of God to uh, share the pulpit of my dear friend, John Mark. Uh, we met in on a Romanian trip some 20-plus years ago, and um, I never will forget this evening. We were in Budapest, and we were going to spend the night there, and uh, but it was Budapest is a sinful, evil place. Just it was in the atmosphere. And I decided that I wasn't going to spend the night there. The mission trip was over. They were going to do some sightseeing the next day. So I got on the phone, got my secretary to get me a, a flight and set up so I could get out of there as soon as I could. And she did, but I had to get to Vienna for that. And so I'm going down from my room to the um, front desk to uh, talk to the guy there and figure out how to get from the hotel to the, to the train station. And John Mark was in the stairwell and uh, he says what you doing I said I'm, I'm getting out of here man he said uh, well you know what I got an eerie feeling about this place too he says I was just walking around the hotel trying to find an alternative way out <laughs> and ever since then we've, we've, been, we've been buddies bunker buddies in the gospel in this spiritual battle take your Bibles and go with me to uh, John chapter 4 the woman at the well and the nobleman's son is healed in this chapter. And uh, I um, want to walk through these verses as clearly as I can. I want us to see the growth of a soul in these verses. There's a progression here. As Jesus the evangelist shares with the Samaritan woman at the well, there's a progression that takes place, and it is representative of the progress or pathway that any lost soul takes to Christ. And so um, let's, let's go there. I'm going to read for us to begin with the um, verse 4. Just a phrase from that verse that says, And he must needs go through Jerusalem. So we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about bringing people to Jesus. We're talking about being a reflection of Christ in our world. We are um, we're painting a picture that shows uh, the ability of the believer to impact his or her world. And it is most usually done through practical means. So Jesus is um, preparing to go to Galilee and, 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 he and he decides, I must go through Samaria. Now, there were three routes to uh, Samaria from where he was, but uh, he chose the less traveled route for a Jew, and that would be to go straight through 
Samaria. It was also the shortest route, but it was a route that the Jews never took because of their disdain for the Samaritans. But Jesus says, I must, it is, it is, it is mandated upon me. There is an unction on my life that should take us through Samaria. Let me just stop right there and say that evangelism and missions require more purpose than planning. You can sit and talk and meet and eat and greet and talk and eat and greet about evangelism forever. But unless you get off your seat and go to the street, it will never happen. It, 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 is, it should be a purpose. It should be a drive in our lives to, to, to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. It, you don't have to plan it. You pray about being useful to the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit to do the rest. You, you, you don't have to sit back and have this detailed outline about how I'm going to be an evangelist for Christ. Just, just live every day as an instrument in, on his workbench, and he'll pick you up and use you every chance he gets. And so the Spirit was leading him through, through Samaria. Verses 1 through 9, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh to he... To him uh, cometh he, rather, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give to me drink, for his disciples were, disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so we're going to look. We're going to look at the names that this uh, woman uses for Jesus as she, as she comes to salvation. And in this verse, the first one, uh, uh, in this paragraph rather, the first one is Jew. She, she, she says, how be it, thou being a Jew... I want us to see, first of all, her disrespect. She knew how the Jews felt about the Samaritans and how the Samaritans felt about the Jews. And so there was this this, this disrespect that she expected, this this disrespect that she uh, uh, displayed by, by referring to him in racial terms, a Jew. 
And so, and so her disrespect represents the disrespect in general that the lost world has for Jesus Christ. It, we can sing and preach and pray all we want. But until the power of the gospel falls upon the heart of a lost soul, they will never respect our God. In fact, we live in a world today where, where uh, uh, they have, the world has, has synchronized Christianity with so many other religions. I was, I'm in the process of witnessing to to uh, a person of another faith, and that person uh, says to me, one morning I, I saw him, and, and he said, God bless you. How are you doing this beautiful day that God has given us? I saw him another morning, and he says, I am so grateful that God has allowed me another day. And so after two or three days, I'm, I'm praying for him, and and, and, and I'm looking for an opportunity for the Spirit of God. Remember, I said it takes more purpose than planning. I'm looking for the Spirit of God to open that door so I can witness to him. And so, and so the third or fourth day, he used those, those very Christian terms. So I said, that's my, that's my foot in the door. I said, young man, you sound like a Christian every time I meet you. And he said, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. And I won't call the name of the religion just to be polite. But he says, but my religion and your religion are similar. He says, the only difference is we don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God said, son, that's a double death distinction. <laughs> you're not going to only die physically, you're going to die spiritually if you uh, hold on to that mindset because, because in Christianity, he is the door. He is the way. He is the light. He is the only way to the Father. Just general disrespect. We see it all over. We see it in the schoolhouse. Unfortunately, we see it in the church house. We see it uh, in the marketplace. We see it in the media. But there's a way for us as believers to work through that disrespect. You see, I, I, didn't, I didn't say to that young man... Uh, what I just said to you, that you're going to die and go to hell because I would have lost him at that point. I'm not coddling his disrespect, but I am making my way to his heart quietly, patiently, and, and, and when it's time, God's going to do what only God can do. And it might not be me that brings him to Christ, but at least the seed will have been planted. And that's what Christ is doing with this, with this lady. She's not, he's, not, he's not beating her over the head. He, he, he's, not, he's not beating her with the Bible. He's not getting uh, insulted by her disrespect. 
But let's move on. Let's move on. We see her disrespect. And then somewhere around verse 11, 10 and 11, she calls him sir. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Jesus answered verse 10 and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman said unto to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? We see, we see first of all, her disrespect. I, wanna, I want us to see now her disingenuousness. She was like, Man, you can't get me no water that well deep, and you don't have a bucket or a rope. You, you, you just talking trash. You must be trying to flirt with me. You, you, you must just think that I'm an idiot. I came with a bucket and a rope, and you have nothing, and you're going to give me water? So often in Scripture... Uh, uh, the literal is taken for the figurative. When John's, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, thou must be born again, he was thinking literal birth. When Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread. The disciples were thinking literal bread. And so this lady here is thinking that Jesus is talking about the water in Jacob's well. And so she plays on the fact that you can't get any water out of that well if you wanted to. The world has a disingenuous position towards Christ. And it is something that we must deal with every day. You see, this woman, and this, this woman was ignorant of two things. She was ignorant of the gift of God, which is salvation. And she was ignorant of the fact uh, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, was in her presence. And because so much of the word of God, so much of, much of the truth of God is spiritually discerned, the world just throws it on the packet shelf. The world just uh, thinks that we are a bunch of Bible-thumping idiots because, because it can't be true. How can a loser who died on the cross as a criminal be a winner? Be a savior. How can a religion whose leader was captured, crucified, and murdered, how can that be a religion of freedom, of eternality? There's a distinct disingenuousness that the world has, that every lost heart has, 
for who we are in Christ and who Christ is. There is, there is the reflection of Christ that they see in us will either draw people or run people from him. We are his reflections. He says we are his body. He wants us to be his hands, his eyes, his ears, his nose, his feet. He wants to use us in bringing the loss into the fold. He wants to work through us. He wants us to be the mouthpiece of the gospel today. You know, I often think as I look at creation and how, how consistent the sunrise is. I mean, I've been around 65 years. I'm sure some of y'all have been here longer than that, but none of us have seen a day when the sun didn't rise. We might have had some cloudy days, but the sun was there. I mean, just think about it. Not one day have, have we experienced where the birds didn't sing or the leaves didn't rustle because of the wind. Not one day because Jesus did it. He's the creator of all things. He's the upholder of all things and the sustainer of all things by his word. The world doesn't see that. They think it's taken a billion and a half years to get to where we are. There is this, there is this disingenuousness about the world. But that is broken down when they see Christ in us. There is, in verse 19, the third term that the lady uses when she refers to Christ. And this points to, now, she was disrespectful, and then she was disingenuous. Now she's beginning because Christ is there speaking his word to her, she's beginning to receive some discernment. Look, verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that says thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She, she, was like, she was like, how does he know that? That's my business. Why is he getting in my business? Something must be different about this man. He comes to the well. He doesn't have a bucket. He's telling me things about my life that I didn't tell him. He's talking to me, a, Jew, uh, uh, 
a Jew talking to a Samaritan woman? He's unusual. Something must be different about him. She says, thou, sir, I perceive that thou must be a prophet. You see, when you live the word of God before the lost, they will come to see Christ in you. They will begin to discern that there is something different, dare I say strange, about the blood-washed child of God. Because when everybody else is getting angry, we don't get angry. When everybody else is choosing sides, we just stay with Jesus. When everybody else is blaming everybody else, we just call on the name of Jesus. She says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And so the word of God can work on the coldest, hardest heart. And let me say this. We can preach the word of God without ever saying a word. Amen? It's it's a lifestyle. It's a walk. It's a, as the King James says, a conversation. The way we carry ourselves. Jesus can be seen and felt and heard. Because you see, it doesn't matter how much we quote Scripture to them until the Spirit of God begins to soften that heart so that that Word can be absorbed. We can preach and quote until our tongues hang out. Nothing will happen until the Spirit does what only He can do. The Spirit's moving by the scriptures on this Samaritan woman's heart. She was trying to change the subject. But when Jesus wouldn't let her change the subject, she realized that there is something different about this man and therefore there's no need of me lying to myself or to him anymore. I might as well face my sins. That's the initial discernment that a lost person has when the Word of God and the Spirit of God begins to massage that Word into their hearts. I can't hide from my sins. I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what I've said. I know how I have felt about this one or that one. She faces her sins and Jesus says, Thou hast well said. She wanted the water, but she was confused until she faced her sins. 
Nobody in their right minds, no matter how long they've been lost, no matter how much money they have or education, popularity, or some form of power, no one wants to think of dying and going to hell. And so this, this woman was confused, though she wanted what Jesus offered. And the only way to break that confusion for her was to come face to face with her sins, confess her sins before Christ. And she did. Verse 25 says, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Jew, sir, prophet, Christ. She, we see in these last few verses, 25 through 29, we see her deliverance, and her devotion. You know, as a pastor, just because somebody walks down the aisle, I'm not deceived into believing that they've accepted Christ. They've accepted church membership. But what lets me know that they've also accepted Christ in addition with joining the church is their devotion to Christ. You see, look what this woman did. The disciples returned. Jesus had told her who he was and what he could give her. And while the disciples were conferring with him, she went back to the city. Somewhere in there, she, she came to realize that Jesus Christ is Messiah. She came to realize that he indeed is the Son of God. She came to realize that whether she worshipped here or there or was of this uh, one uh, uh, ethnicity or another, it didn't matter because Jesus died for all. She came to know her deliverance and her devotion is borne out in this passage. 
she was disrespectful, disingenuous, and then discernment begins to hit. Then she is delivered, and we see her devotion because she goes back to the city. And she didn't go back to the city and say, okay, guys, I got us a pot of water. She didn't go back to the city and say, okay, uh, we have water in the house now. Let's cook and clean. She went back to the city, and she began to broadcast to the city, come see a man. Come see a man that, that has changed my life. Come see a man after five plus husbands, a man like I've never known. <laughs> Come see a man, she says, that has told me all that, I, all that there is about me. Come see a man. Now, Jesus didn't go into a deep discussion about her entire life, but, but he pointed out the fact that she was lost and on her way to hell. He pointed out the fact that he was the giver of eternal life. And he pointed out the fact that he was in her presence and eternal life was hers to have simply by receiving. Come see a man. That's her devotion. That should be our devotion. And as I said from the onset, practical mission, meeting practical needs is the shortest route to evangelism. Oh, I wish I had more time to tell you, tell you some stories about meeting practical needs. There's a young man who is a physician at Emory University today because we helped his mama pay the light bill. 25 years ago. We helped him with book bags and school supplies. Practical needs opens the door so that we can share the gospel. But one other thing that this woman teaches us is that we can't be quiet about what God has done. The world is full of big mouths. And they're talking about everything that has absolutely no eternal value. Well, we need to be big mouths about Jesus. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, a, of a lady, charismatic lady, who uh, lived next door to an atheist. And um, uh, every morning she would go out on her porch and she would, she would uh, uh, praise the Lord and thank him for the day. And that atheist would come out and say, you're a fool. There is no God. And, and, uh, and, and she did that day after day after day. But one, one month her money ran short and she didn't have any food. And when she came out to the porch to pray, she said, God, I trust you with all that I have. And I am in need now and I... And I pray that you would send me some groceries. She says, my money has run out and, and I can't buy any food. And the atheist was hiding behind the hedge on his side of the, 
of the yard, and and uh, and he says, "Well, I'm going to make an I'm going to make an even bitty, bigger idiot out of this woman." And so and so he goes to the grocery store and he buys bags and bags of food, and then he comes and sits it on her porch, and then rings the doorbell. Then he runs back and he hides behind the bush again. And the lady comes out and she sees those groceries. And she goes to shouting and praise dancing and thanking Jesus and just having a hallelujah good time. And, and, and the atheist raises up from behind the bush and says, I told you you were an idiot. There's no God. I bought those groceries. And then the woman went to clapping and stumping and praise dancing again. And he says, what are you doing that for, woman? Didn't I tell you I bought the food? She says, yes, sir. I knew God was going to meet my need. I just didn't know he was going to make the devil pay for it. <laughs> God will meet your need, but you can't be quiet about what he's done. Amen? Our world needs to hear and see us being Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.